So the thing is, before we start recording, we do something silly. We clap. Yeah. So there's like a, on the audio, there'll be like a, a spike. So Nick has an idea. Producer Nick knows, uh, knows like an idea of how to line up the audio. Right. And sometimes, you know, we get close or whatever. And sometimes you're not quite sure because there might be a little bit of delay or whatever. But the, the, the three, two, one clap we just did, I think was the most perfect one we've ever done. Dude, it was beautiful. It was I was elegant. amazed by it. It was elegant. <laughs> we're, we're, start, we're just more and more in sync with each other every week. Right. We'll see how the rest of the show goes, but we were starting <laughs> off strong. It feels like we're in sync. Oh, my goodness. So, I got some uh, mail today. Yep. Some very uh, exciting mail. Uh, and I'm not going to say what the publication is. Um, but I opened it up, and it was uh, a, an offering. Uh, and I'll just say what it says. Okay, tired of struggling with your preaching, tired of late Saturday nights, tired of recycling the same homilies over and over, tired of going over homily helps again and again without hardly using anything. Well, no more, <laughs> because for a simple sixty-nine dollars a year. You can get homilies for every weekend, nearly 60 in all, including Ash Wednesday, Holy Thursday, and Good Friday. And I was like, oh my goodness. I had so many thoughts. So this 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 publication. Well, here's the thing. Like, it's, it's, uh, there is a homily problem. We can all acknowledge this. Yes. These people couldn't do things if there wasn't a homily problem. And I understand, like, there are certain resources that I will go to from time to time, commentaries, uh, even podcasts here and there, mm-hmm. either get the mind going, or a lot of times to get, like, a more historical background so I can put things in proper context or whatever. And, like, all that's good and normal and a part of homily prep. But they uh, they give you these apparently, like, full-on, like, five to seven-minute homilies. And so one came with this. And it's just so bad. It's just so bad. Like half of the homily is talking about cell phones. When you give an example, you don't need to talk about like everyone knows what a cell phone is. Why are you spending half the homily telling us about how great cell phones are? Which is just, just very confusing. And then once you actually get to the quote unquote meat of the thing, it's a okay or just other stuff like it, it tries to make you sound like you're um, actually speaking, right? Yeah. So this is one section. My friends, most of us have a lot on our plate. I don't have to tell you that. God, I don't have to tell you that. Is God somewhere on that plate? Wait, I misspoke. That's not the way to look at it at all. God isn't simply one more thing to fit into our schedule, one more thing on our plate. Rather, he is the plate I itself. Knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, okay, okay. So this homily is about the wise and foolish virgin virgins. Yeah. And this line, I thought of you specifically, Harrison. I'm going to... Five were wise and five were foolish. Oh, no. Which are we? <laughs> and it's just, it's like, if you want, like, priests just to pick, like, have short homilies, okay, fine. But, like, there's just nothing to this. So, there, here, it's just... A, go ahead. Here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. First, for those who don't know, this is actually a market in the church. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Oh, you've never heard? Yeah. No, this is a market. I knew priests who ordered homilies. They got like a thing for the year and that's what they gave every Sunday, whatever was yeah. given to them. And you can tell because it's like, it's, it's 
cultural references you know this person knows nothing about and stuff like this right <laughs> when, a, when a priest who's 75 is talking about beyonce you know mm-hmm. you know no sorry this is just yeah. not happening but there's also a business opportunity here father anthony oh is there <laughs> i mean i think we could do a better job Right. Uh, we can definitely <laughs> undercut these people. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, 50 bucks a year. No problem. I'll yeah, send exactly. You we'll, send you, we'll send you all our homilies for the year and and we can make some money on the side. <laughs> uh, like, okay, so don't... <laughs> Which we would never do. Why? Okay, why, why is this a bad idea? Okay, it's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. And let me preface by saying, it's not like I knock every homily out of the park mm-hmm. and change mm-hmm. everyone's lives every time. Okay, right? But the thing is, like, this is approaching preaching in this incredibly weird way. Like, the way you need to approach preaching is that, one, God is real, and that he has something to say to his people, right? And he wants to use you because you, he ordained you, yep. and providentially sent you to this people. Yeah. So you need to preach his word to those people, and that cannot be done if you're using canned homilies. It's just no. Like, even, like, I love, uh, I listen to Bishop Barron's yep. homilies. Um, but the thing is, the problem with those is that they're not to a specific audience, um, so I use them very much so as kind of uh, almost like a commentary is helpful. Yeah. But I can't use his homily for my people because my people are my people. Exactly. His his people in that context is like the whole internet. It's a very different audience, right? Exactly. Uh, and not saying they're they're worthless, but it's just like you have to you have to do things. And and the thing is like people don't what people really want is they don't want you to be cool and hip, and they don't even necessarily want your homilies to be short. They just want them to be real and to be good. Like they want to hear what you've like prayed about not and don't do the whole like this is what i was praying about it's just just preach mm-hmm. there's like like if you can't talk about jesus and you're a priest or a deacon like you need to go on retreat or something preaching is and yeah essential. you'll bomb every once in a while because maybe you didn't pray <laughs> well i yeah. mean that's all normal yes i just it's this is this is blowing my mind it's blowing my mind right now that this is a real thing here's the other thing um five to seven minutes are they crazy that's so short. Right. How do you say so anything short. in five to seven minutes? I mean, of if, substance. Yeah, I, I uh, this past weekend, I'll, I'll talk about uh, it a bit more in a second. But uh, uh, this past weekend, I was I recorded one of my homilies because I was just trying to see how something was working, and mm-hmm. so I recorded the last one, which is always dangerous because that's always the longest because you've <laughs> preached it. This is my fifth time preaching it for the weekend, uh, oh. right? I'm, but uh, I, I pressed the end on the recording on my cell phone. I looked down at the time and I said, I, I looked back up to people and said, I am so sorry. I was not keeping track of time at all. That went way too long. It was a 23-minute homily. <laughs> but people were paying attention, so I didn't see sure. this need to slow down. I could tell. like people, You know when people are like yeah. leaning forward to listen? You mm-hmm. know you've got people's attention. Or the person who's usually just wandering around with their eyes, they're actually looking right. at you. You know you've got them, so no one's going to complain. But I was like, oh my gosh, that was probably a little too long. <laughs> but it's like five to seven yeah, minutes man. is short. Like, uh, you know, the five to seven minutes is actually the worst amount of time for a homily. That makes sense for like a weekday mass. Even that, like, I think, but like the thing is like, uh, it's, you can have really brilliant, well-crafted, like three or four sentence homilies yeah. if you really want to work at them. Yeah. That's like a thing you can do. Yep. Um, you know, if you're going to go longer than 10 minutes, you have to be saying something real. But like five to seven minutes is like an awkward period of time. 
Um, whereas people are like, oh, you can just sort of get into an idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like, like I said, I'm not like the most expert preacher in the while. I just think that Jesus has something to say to people. Exactly. And it's a priest's job to listen and try to say that thing. To listen in prayer to and to realize you're mediating what God wants to say to those people in that moment. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. And like people don't expect Father 70 years old to not be 70 years old. They yeah. don't expect me to have all the wisdom of a priest of a 70 year old. They just want to hear what Jesus wants. You know, yeah. it, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That's good. Welcome to Clerically Speaking, where we'll be using most of our own thoughts. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe listening to Jesus <gasps> hey, Christ. Not what? just that. We should what? not just canned homilies, canned uh-huh. podcast scripts. Uh, we should, we could start that. I don't know if we could, I don't know if we could do. <laughs> Suddenly there's like 50, like, there's 50 podcasts out there. Yeah. I'll say the exact same thing for a half an hour. Oh, they already do though. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> okay. So I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Uh, so for those on YouTube right now, I'm, 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 th- we, we switched roles this week. Father Anthony's yeah. looking more priestly. I'm looking mm-hmm. more, um, civically, uh, because, uh, I'm on a couple day break, just coming home to visit my folks. I'm actually staying at my aunt's place. Who's a listener to the podcast. So hi, Aunt Colette. Uh, she, the, uh, I, my parents don't have a guest room at their place. So I'm, you know, staying at her place and recording there. Cool. So, which is nice, nice little break for a couple days. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about, I, I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, how, you know, in the process of doing ADHD stuff. And I started Ritalin on Saturday. Yeah. So this is amazing. This is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in my life. (laughs) I can't stop talking about it because I'm so happy. Like, I'll be Mm -hmm. honest, actually today I'm a little jittery. I'm noticing Mm -hmm. I'm a little hyper actually, Mm -hmm. but overall, like I've had very little negative side effects. So I got, I saw a psychiatrist on Friday who wanted to do an assessment and then he gave me a medication right away. So I started on Saturday. It was a little, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous because sure, yeah. you're, you're putting stuff in your body that's going to affect your brain and your central nervous, well, with Ritalin, it's your central nervous system. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's nerve wracking. You're not, and you have no idea what you're walking into, right? You've never experienced it. So but uh, I have never known focus like this in my life. Mm-hmm. I have. You saw the video of. Did you see the video of my office? Yeah, you cleaned your office. <laughs> I would never be able to do that before. I spent an hour yeah. and a half just going through my office, putting papers where they belonged and books where they belonged and clearing out clutter and being able to focus. I pumped out 100 emails on Saturday. Yeah, well, that's a lot of emails. Well, part of it was like, thanks, or whatever. You know, it's like it's nothing sure, long, but, but it's still just like, doing that task. Because they were yeah. just piling up. Because beforehand, so this is the thing with ADHD, for those who don't know. What happens with ADHD is you have 20 thoughts going in your brain 24-7. This makes it difficult to sleep. This makes it difficult uh, to think in a logical, straight, and uh, sequential fashion. Because you're, think, you're saying this one thing, but you know there's 20 other things that need to be said to be, make this one little thing properly understood. Um, and those are always going on. So then what happens is you always feel overwhelmed and your brain just doesn't stop. So you're always tired. You're always, um, you're always and then so what happens is the phone rings and you're like, uh, the phone rings and you're like, oh, I... I don't want to answer it right now because what it is, it's just one more thing on the pile of thoughts. And when your to-do list is always long and it's always kind of 
badgering you every single minute. You have to do all these 20 things and your brain cannot sparse those things out and say, this is what I need to do now. And that's what I need to do later. So that's really exhausting. And I've, that's what I've known my whole life. Yeah. And like when my parent, like I was talking to my aunt about this morning too. And I feel like, well, yeah, we've known this our whole lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, but I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Good. No, I'm really happy for you. Um, and we're like we've already talked a lot before we get into uh, the, the the podcast podcast stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like uh, I I think I should figure out something as far as like the constant anxiety I have. Because right. like today, I my like part of my brain knows that things are okay, but like I also can't eat and I'm freaking out. I want to run into the woods, yeah. but instead I'm going to do this podcast instead <laughs> of running into the woods. And it's uh, yeah, it's. Um, we are pro uh, mental health on yeah. this podcast. And it's been, yeah, and I, I just share it, A, because, hey, you know, maybe there's someone out there. Yes, sure, adults yeah. can have ADHD. Um, and my my psychiatrist, he, I said to him, well, my doctor was like, well, you've done really well in school. He goes, my, and the psychiatrist said, well, actually, um, he thinks like a lot of the most brilliant people in the world have ADHD because it's a bit... But yeah, your life. The- and first and foremost, among those most brilliant people mm. in the world, your uh, own Joseph Rassier. Harrison. <laughs> no, uh, uh, but no, he's just like no. Like a lot of people, there are a lot of smart people with ADHD. So yeah. it was, but like it was weird. Like what happened was like it was during the lockdown. Like even like I thought life's slower. I can mm-hmm. put that those papers away now. I can organize yeah. my books, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I just couldn't. And, and so the, there's a few interesting things. I'm starting to realize that some things that I thought were lack of willpower were actually just the ADHD. Mm. So that, so I, like one day I'd like to talk about ADHD and acedia and how that works together. Cause well, no, my whole, I've <laughs> yeah. like, and it's part of it's exciting. Cause I've just never known this in my life ever period full yeah. stop. Um, but I'm actually able to listen now and people are talking and I don't feel this need You see, when you have ADHD, we tend to interrupt a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's not because we're doing that on purpose, but because what you're talking about, there's so many thoughts going on in our head. We just got to do a brain dump or something like that, right? So Mm -hmm. it's been, um, I mean, it's only five days. I get it. But this has been the most. good news. This is good news. And my secretary, I sent her the video of my office. She goes, who are you? (laughs) <laughs> right my parents i'm father harrison yeah. but stronger <laughs> yes well that, this is the scary thing i'm like and i mean some people were good i was saying to some friends i'm like oh man i can do this this and this now too because i i'll be able to have so much more free time and everyone's like like uh, jake said to me he goes just enjoy it yeah and i'm like That's, yeah that is a good that is a good and fair point and i will Before you take on 14 so more projects. i just want to share that it's been amazing if it's something you think you might be struggling with it's worth it doesn't hurt to have a conversation Right. Yeah. Everyone's going to act to act to the, react to the medication differently. For some people, Ritalin can actually stunt their emotions. That does not happen. That has not happened to me. It's been weird. Everyone says that it stunts your appetite. Like it, it's an appetite mm-hmm. reducer. I've had the total opposite experience. I'm actually really hungry all the time because <laughs> okay. it is a bit of it's it, it, it uses up a lot. Of, your metabolism works a lot faster. So you're using up a lot more energy. So I'm just hungry all the time right now. I just had yeah. a ma- I had a massive breakfast with my parents this morning. Massive plate of hash browns and ham and toast, and I I'm still hungry. And that was an hour and a half ago. Are you sure you didn't have Canadian bacon instead of ham? It was it was ham. We don't call it Canadian bacon. You guys do. Interesting. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. 
Well, I think the moral of the story is that uh, here at Clerically Speaking, we think drugs are good. And uh, what is a better drug than that dopamine hit you get from a like on your tweets? Now it's time for the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Go ahead, introduce <laughs> it first. <laughs> the Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. Okay, before we go into the tweets, yeah, a lot of my friends who watched it on YouTube, mm-hmm. they're like, where's the bumpers? Where's the bumpers? Listen, you don't get to have everything in life, all right? <laughs> you have to make choices. If you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. Yeah. It's called commitment. It's yeah. called a choice. And those choices have consequences. So if you want to watch us on YouTube, you can see our beautiful faces and our beautiful talking with our hands. And that's wonderful. That's a blessing that, frankly, you don't deserve. But you get it, okay? If you want to listen to Bumpers, then you download the podcast on your podcast app. And if you're a real fan of Clerically Speaking, you do both. Because you want to give us those clicks. Yes, that's right. So. That's right. Anyways, all right. Uh, that was really aggressive. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> this tweet is from uh, our friend, Father Joseph Krupp. And he says this. I'm getting calls and visits from people who want to convince me to preach in support of Biden or Trump. I'm using that opportunity to ask for help feeding the poor. No one has said yes yet. Mm. If we were as passionate about Jesus as we are about our candidate, we would change the world. So my pastor did himself a uh, good old fashioned, let's preach about abortion and things homily. Mm -hmm. And he did a really good job. And one of the things he brought up, which uh, I'm really glad he did, was he mentioned how, you know, as priests, a lot of times we counsel and talk to women uh, or, or men who have been involved in abortions and who are repentant. And uh, that is one of some of the most important conversations I've ever had in my life as a priest. Hmm. Uh, Because, I mean, it's there that you really see uh, how merciful God really is. That yes, even though you have done this truly evil thing, God still wants to forgive you. And to like, it's such a delicate, such an important, such a holy moment to have those conversations with people. And so like those people exist in our congregation. Uh, and so you have to be mindful of them when you're talking about abortion as well. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he, he prefaced with that, but then talked about the evils of abortion, which, yeah, absolutely, it's it's mm-hmm. it's the the greatest evil um, of our time. Um, uh, but he, so he did all these things, and he talked about a little bit in general about the election without like naming candidates, but just saying the Catholics need to be Catholics. And he did a really good job. I was really happy with it. Um, uh, uh, but of course, uh, he's getting a bunch of emails saying that he uh, either didn't say enough or said too much. Mm-hmm. And I've had the same experience where I'm trying to like teach people what is the uh, Catholic understanding of forming your conscience and what does that mean? What are examples of it and what do you have to weigh? And people will hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And like this is so frustrating to me uh, because when it comes to the election for me personally, 
and I, I say this, I don't care. It's just not on my list of priorities. Don't get me well, wrong. I absolutely don't care because I'm Canadian. Right, right, right. <laughs> but you get sucked into our American it culture sucks anyway. so much. Come, yes, talk about our presidents that you can't elect. Okay, uh, like, because don't get me wrong, Catholics being involved in civic life, that's good, 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 good. And, and voting, sure, fine, whatever. Uh, but uh, the thing that worries me and I've talked about this before, is like there are cults around our political figures. Mm-hmm. And Catholics have have drank the Kool-Aid that unless you vote for the right person, everything's going to fall apart. Well, here's the thing. We as Catholics can guarantee something. Everything in this world is going to fall apart. Yep. That's what this world does. Mm-hmm. It falls apart. Everything is passing away. Everything is dying. Everything is is going away, okay? Mm-hmm. And so if you put all of your emotional and spiritual energy into this thing, like where's going to be your energy for the gospel, mm-hmm. right? So this is what I care about more than anything else. Um, like, yes, it's good to inform conscience and everything, but the thing is people are so, so, so poisoned by this yeah. that they cannot, one, even hear what you're saying, um, and they only hear what they want to hear, and all of their energy and anger and or, or righteousness or whatever is is fueled into this one thing, and it's to the detriment of their souls. Mm-hmm. Like you will meet completely normal people who become the craziest people once they start talking about politics, mm-hmm. and like that's a sign. That's a sign. Like that's where your treasure is, so that's where your heart's going to be. Mm-hmm. And this is what drives me crazy. Yeah. And so I appreciate it. That's not just. It's happening to all priests right now. And some priests are more are like every oh, American some priests are priest. very political. You know. Every, what is that? every American priest. Yes. Okay. Sorry. What's your perspective on this, my Canadian friend? <laughs> Burn it all down. Uh, yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter for you. <laughs> uh, so a few things. Uh, actually, this is an interest. So first, well, okay, actually, I want to address the second half of the tweet first about yeah. the pop, the service to the poor. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason he's asking for this, um, and I think it's vitally important. Charity begins at home. Your mm-hmm. your political change begins at home. Your concrete service is where it changes. And we get so, and he's also trying to say your priority is in the wrong place. It's not wrong to think about political common good stuff around voting. That's fine. But it actually should be under your desire for concrete service in your local community to those in need. So the poor are going to be absolutely up in that uh, thing. The problem is, unfortunately, for so many people, the poor aren't in their face, and it's not it's not in front of them, so they don't see it. And it's yeah. hard. It's been very interesting for me coming into this new parish, like just driving around the city. There is so much poverty here. I just it wasn't in front of me in Port Alberni, so it didn't cross my mind as much. Here, it's like. Yeah. Not only is it there, I'm like, okay, what can I do about this? What can I help bring my parish along to see here? Because that's the thing. And this is like kind of the principle of subsidiarity. Like in the end, the big stuff actually isn't where most of the change is going to happen. Because here's the thing: if you want a political good, it's going to you need to change hearts and minds locally first, mm-hmm. right? You can have the worst laws in the world enforced by a government, but they're going to become like it's like I don't know. I've seen Twitter accounts that have all these like old obscure laws that they just tweet out that are still on the books, yeah. But they're not enforced. Why? Because nobody does anything that would make it enforceable. So like, instead, like, 
I say this with, I, I recognize the importance. And again, in, in the States, it's also difference about how your laws work, et cetera. There mm-hmm. is important political work to be done around stuff like abortion. Absolutely not denying this. But there's also another way. By making abortion unthinkable, by creating a culture. You see, this is the thing. When Paul, John Paul II is talking about cultural life, he's not talking about laws. Culture comes from the people living it. Yeah. Live it locally in those people. Help them make the choices that they need, which means, but here's the thing. If you don't want Jane Smith to have an abortion, you have to sacrifice your surplus and even some of your need to make sure that she has what she needs to raise her child. Mm-hmm. Not just give 10 bucks to the pro-life group. You need to make, and I know people like this who, who really make a concrete yeah. service and I, it's really amazing. Yeah. And you can't do everything, but you got to find something. But if everybody does something, it does an amazing thing. And he's right. And then we would set the world on fire. So that's yeah. the first thing. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but it, it also manifests ways in subtler ways than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very easy to be, and this is a little bit what uh, uh, Francis talks about in Fratelli Tutti. Uh, it's very easy just to consider ourselves individual consumers in a society, mm-hmm. and even in in parish life, like what can I do for me or my kids or whatever. Uh, but that that self centeredness promotes, in a very subtle way, that l- life is only valuable if I give it value. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, life is valuable in as much as it is useful to me. Mm-hmm. So when you like yell at someone in the grocery store uh, who like is checking you out slowly, like you're telling them that their life is not valuable to yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's these little ways that like we have to show people uh, that. All life has dignity. All life has value. Yeah. Uh, when you scream at the parish secretary because of change in mass times or something, you're you're showing them that they aren't human beings yeah. to you they are just a function to you exactly so it's like this this culture of death it's very it's manifested in very subtle and sneaky ways yeah um yeah so the other thing i want to kind of bring up with all that so this that's kind of let's that's the local stuff yeah how how does the church understand politics and and so I, i'm going to make a little book recommendation okay i always do guess yeah. by who guess just guess is it by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a little book called The Unity of the Nations. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's the it's the patristic view of uh, the concept of the relationship between the church and civil authority. And so he kind of gives a th- an understanding of how the church understands herself. Uh, and then he looks into Augustine and origin on this topic. And mm. you see, Augustine... And I think Augustine's, I mean, Origen is not as resistant as I think some people might think he is, but I mean, he's, he's a little bit more, Hey, listen, this world's passing away. And this is, and this is the other thing to what you were saying earlier quickly was you're saying, yes, this world is passing away. See, actually it's only in the church that progress happens. We're, we're, we are progressing towards eternity while the rest of the world's crumbling in regress ever since mm-hmm. the fall creation's been destroying itself where it's, it's actually crumbling it, so it's the the myth of progress is a real myth it's it's actually an anti-sacrament of what's really happening but yeah. augustine has this i think healthy uh, approach to things which he says like there's the two cities and they kind of dwell within each other and the city of uh of god and the city of man are going to kind of interplay he says that the civil authority exists really to ensure the common good of people 
and it, and it and it has a service to the life of the church in eternity, but it it is a fleeting passing thing. And so we need to treat it as such. Right. We don't. <laughs> yeah, that's a big. There's no detachment. Yeah. Like yes, you can engage in the political life in whatever country you are, and there's a lot of good to be said in that. But if you don't so do, if you don't do so detached, if you don't do so with your goods and priorities in the proper order, right. then it's going to become sinful. It's going to become de- detrimental to your soul. Yeah. And I see that across Catholics across the political spectrum. Yeah. And also, just to throw this out there, guys, it's not a sin not to vote. Sorry, it's not. Might actually even be according to your conscience, the right moral thing to do and the best thing for your soul. Sorry to make you angry about stuff. <laughs> it's the truth. Yep. Yep. It's a legitimate political choice. Or write in someone if you want or something, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, like we'll make Kanye this one quick West. because I think this is going to bridge nicely with your uh, with your topic today. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Uh, from Brother Simon OSB at Monk Simon OSB. Until you are convinced that prayer is the best use of your time, you will not find time for prayer. And this is from Father Hill. This is a quote from Father Hilary Otten Smyre, a monk of St. Meinrit Arch Abbey. Uh, and this is just so, like, what a beautiful, simple quote. Because there's two things. We do not. And I, I throw myself in this camp very often. Do not think prayer is the best use of our time. Now, when we say best use, it doesn't mean only use, right? Right, right. That's not, I mean, he's, they're monks. They work too. They ora et labora. But that actually prayer is the most effective space that God is going to work. And until you actually believe that, prayer is not going to be the first thing in your life. It's not going to be the most important thing. So you need to actually really come. So it's a call to conversion, really, about prayer to say, my relationship with God through his church is the most important thing in my life. And that prayer is the place in which he does most of his work. He does it. Like, that's the thing. Like, I I was preaching about this on the feast day of St. Therese of Lisieux about how, you know, we know she's the patroness, co-patroness of missions, Mm -hmm. but she was in a convent, right? This idea. Right. She understood the power of contemplative prayer for the lifeblood of the church. And um, we, because the whole point of that is saying, I am, I have a, like the French call it disponibility, right? The, uh, no, no, they don't call it disponibility. What do they call it? <laughs> disponibility. <laughs> hey, disponibility. Yeah, uh, towards God, the, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, openness towards what God, that God is going to be the one who acts. And that I am just, and so he will, this is like, actually, this is the thing. When, when you believe this, your activity is going to lessen mm-hmm. because it has to. We need to slow down. <laughs> we haven't learned this lesson. We must slow down and do less, mm-hmm. which is a very hard thing for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, and I think the reason why we know this so well is because we screw up in it. And I can even think of times this week where I was like, but I could do this other thing and pray later. And then the prayer doesn't happen, right? Um, uh, but like you, we are quite literally made for God. Mm-hmm. God is our end. He's the purpose. Like the reason why you're alive is because God. Right. And there's more beautiful ways to put that, but that's kind of the <laughs> long and short of it. Yeah. Um, 
And so prayer is the most important thing you do. And indeed, that's going to look that prayer is going to look on the outside different for the monk, for the single mother, um, for the seven-year-old kid. Like it's going to look different from the outside, mm-hmm. and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, and it's going to look different according to vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is. It's the center of everything. And I, I I've said this before. Uh, the darkest times in my life were not because of the outside circumstances, as bad as they may have been. Mm-hmm. The darkest times in my life were because I wasn't praying, mm. or that I didn't persist in prayer, mm. or that I was cranky, so I prayed three days in a row, but my crankiness took over and I didn't pray for a month, mm-hmm. right? Those were the darkest points in my life. Um, prayer's good. Yeah. Yeah word yeah <laughs> i'm gonna just leave it at that for now because well that's i mean it's great that was great so it's a great segue into what we're gonna talk about in presbyteral <gasps> exhortations and now it is time for presbyteral exhortations oh yeah yes. quite good quite good indubitably oh, i bet they can't wait to learn, They're gonna learn so much. it's my favorite part oh, it's the best part <laughs> Yes, yes, quite. Don't you worry. All right, I got my book. Um, Excellent. So, uh, I came to Revelation Mm -hmm. while I was on my day off. Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with producer Nick and producer Riley. Actually, they were gone, so I had the whole house to myself. And uh, I was doing some praying, doing some reading, and I had talked about doing something about Fratelli Tutti, Mm -hmm. right? I'm sorry. Fratelli Tutti. And, like, that seems like a very topical thing to talk about. Yeah. But as I was praying, I picked up a book. I was like, that, but that's not what I want to talk about. Right. What I want to talk about is St. Teresa of Avila's interior castle. Yes. So that's what I'm going to do. Excellent. So, And like I said, I think when we talk about what we actually want to talk about, right. things go well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want uh, us to talk about Fratelli Tutti, I'm, we'll probably reference it here and there. Yeah. But if you want us to do an episode on it, you have to make God make us do it. Yes. So pray about that. God has to place the desire in us. Because, I mean, here's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> there is a trillion bit of commentary out there on it. Yeah. I'm not going to add anything to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, and I, I haven't read it yet because okay. I, because I, I only have really X amount of time to read. And right now that's doctoral study stuff. Here, here is my opinion yes. on how to handle papal encyclicals. If you have not read it, Ignore everybody's commentary on it mm-hmm. because most people have an agenda. Yep. If you have read it, consider it as uh, something the Holy Father has written. Let it challenge you. Pray about it. Meditate it. And ignore the commentary that everyone has about it. <laughs> both both, both are good ways. Yep. Both are noble paths. Yes. Amen. Um, Amen. But uh, if anybody's going to make money off of... Just, just ignore yep. it. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So... Uh, St. Teresa of Avila uh, is one of my favorite saints. Uh, I, and it's funny because I only know like bits and pieces and stories that may or may not be true about her life, but I love her. I love her. Um, because she is both profoundly spiritual and profoundly practical. And for someone to be spiritual, they actually do have to be both. Uh, so the wisdom comes through in her writing. And so I picked up this book and started reading something again because I had run out of spiritual reading. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said if it wasn't for books, she wouldn't be able to pray for 17 years of her life. So if you're someone who feels like you always need to be doing spiritual reading or picking up scripture, that is fine. As long as you're praying with it, it's a good thing to do. Okay. So I'm going to kind of just move through the first like two chapters. There's various things I think are important because um, just a lot was sticking out at me. You ready to yep, go? Let's do ready it. To do Let's this? do this. Yeah. 
she begins. And first of all, it's just delightful because she doesn't want to write this book. She is a, a lady who is chronically ill. Mm -hmm. uh, she was like throughout her life on and off, just, just annoyed by illness. Uh, and her spiritual director said, hey, write about prayer. And she was like, I already wrote about prayer. I wrote about my life and I didn't want to and I did it. I wrote about other things I didn't want to and I did it. But because this is obedience, I'll do it. Fine. Um, so that's, that's the context for why she's writing this. And she says, I began to think of a soul as if it were a castle made of a singular diamond or of a very clear, clear crystal in which there are many rooms, just as in heaven, there are many mansions. So this is the format for the entire thing, to imagine the soul as this castle, full of a lot of rooms. And rooms that are above the center around, it's almost like a honeycomb of rooms, right? I think what struck me most about, about this thing is something I've noticed in my counseling and spiritual direction. That a part of me, as I am listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to the person talk to me, I am waiting for the points in the conversation. And it may take a few meetings, might take weeks, might take months. I am waiting for the point where the directee finally realizes that she or he does not accept God's love for them. Hmm. Hmm. I think this is the crux of not everyone's difficulties, but I think a lot of people's. Hmm. That at the core, and it can happen for a lot of different reasons, either di different core wounds or the way they were raised or whatever else. But I think so much spiritual anxiety, uh, emotional anxiety, um, difficulty in life comes from the fact that, well, part of them thinks that, yes, God loves me. And a part of them does accept it, right? It's usually not like their entirety, but a deep part of them does not accept that God loves them. Mm -hmm. They see themselves as... Uh, unworthy of love as a screw up. They look at all of their sins and the laundry list is long because if you're a human being, the laundry list of sins is long. And they see that and say that I am unworthy. And what struck me about uh, St. Teresa's uh, image here is that God literally made your soul lovable. Mm -hmm. She uses this image of a, a castle made of crystal, mm -hmm. which is good. Just don't throw stones in it, I guess, or whatever. But like, <laughs> there's crystal there's is strong, man. You can't okay, if it's yeah. thick enough. <laughs> Just go with my bad joke. <laughs> like, and it, it, in God's providence, if God uh, created us from the beginning of time so that He could dwell in us, He made a nice dwelling. Yep, that's the reality of who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yep. And she. Even, okay, no, yeah, no, 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 no. I just. I'm gonna actually no. I'm gonna let it fester. And okay, ponder cool. more. Go ahead. Fester's not a great way. Yeah, fester's like, not a great I, word. I, sorry, but brew. You know, You're gonna let I'm it gonna, brew gonna, like a nice coffee. I'm gonna let it ruminate. <laughs> ruminate. There we go. Yes, let it yeah, ruminate. Go. Let okay. it go through the different chambers, the mansions of my stomach. <laughs> That's what yeah. rumination means to go through different stomachs. There you go. Okay. So, <laughs> as those thoughts go through your tummy. Um, she says, in fact, that the soul is so beautiful that we'll never fully comprehend it. She says, in fact, however acute our intellects may be, they will no more be able to attain a comprehension of this than to an understanding of God. As he himself says, he created us in his own image and likeness. So even though we are infinitely less than God, because we're made in his image and likeness, you will never fully be able to comprehend the beauty of your eternal soul, the beauty of your person, of who you are. Whether you like it or not, you are good. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And that's that's the torture of the devil. Mm-hmm. He is loved by yeah. God. Yeah. Then that's his torture. And he doesn't he doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the torture of the souls in hell yeah. as well. And that's the torture right? and that's why it's a torture for us too, because mm-hmm. um we're we're fallen creatures. Right. And it's really like and some of this you may be thinking to your head, is this all kind of like make me feel good, like self helpy stuff right. that we don't like very much? Right. And she says, No, 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 no. She says, It's no small pity and should cause us no little shame that through our own fault we do not understand ourselves or know who we are. And indeed, this is the great shame of of a lot of humanity and and ourselves included in that, running around, that we are these mansions made for God. We have within ourselves, uh, because God has placed it there, all these different rooms where we can encounter him and uh, grow in understanding and of love. And so often we spend time outside the castle. And in this image, she uses like outside. So this is all analogy. This is all metaphor, mm-hmm. right? So it's not going to be perfect, but it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and this is, but this also really is in line with uh, a lot of spiritual writers that prayer is in a sense going within yourself. Because if you are baptized, especially, mm-hmm. um, the Holy Spirit has been set up in your soul. So in this castle, in the very center of it is God. Mm-hmm. And his light shines throughout all the rooms. Mm-hmm. Right, and just like as a crystal kind of like reflect, reflects, refracts, refracts, refracts the light. Thank you, uh, and you can see different aspects of it. Right, different rooms you'll see different aspects of God's love, uh, and so like the interior life prayer, like you mentioned before in that tweet, like it is the greatest adventure we can go on mm-hmm. because we get to encounter different aspects of God's love for us. Mm-hmm. But the problem is many of us spend our time entirely outside the castle. And she talks about how there's like snakes and lizards outside the castle. And these can be like uh, our daily distractions or our daily temptations and sins and such. And she says some people spend so much time outside the castle, they begin to look like those creatures. And this is true. What makes you human is your relationship to God. That's what makes you better than a fish. That's what makes you better than even a dog, right? Because you have a special kind of relationship with your creator. These other creatures simply do not have. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're bad. doesn't mean that fish and dogs are bad. They're great. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. But they're not human beings. Mm-hmm. And so the less you spend in your interior castle, the more you kind of just become like a fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just reacting to outside stimuli mm-hmm. and never going beyond that. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. I have, I have nothing to add to that. Okay, good, good, good. Maybe this is a this is a good thing of the the drugs. It's like, wait, I don't have to talk all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. It's fine. I still got more stuff yeah, yeah, to say. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I, I know. I know. That's why I'm like, just just yeah. go with it, man. Go with it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> and she also says that. Uh, so as uh, she's writing these things and writing about these mansions, you may uh, grow an understanding of them mm-hmm. through reading and through praying. And some people may do so more so than others, right? Some people may gain deeper insights or insights that that she doesn't even have. Uh, And that's okay. This is an okay thing to do. Um, She says, if the Lord grants you these favors, it will be a great consolation to you to know that such things are possible. And if you never receive any, you can still praise God for his goodness. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I trip up on a lot. Mm. 
Like, I think there's a lot of people out there who we read the lives of the saints or how close they were to God. And what do we feel? Jealousy, mm-hmm. bitterness, and resentment. And this is a problem in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Like the, the proper response is to say like, look how good God is. Right. Look what he's done with these people. Exactly. And even if he hasn't done them for me in the same way, one, God does take care of me and he does give me gifts. Mm-hmm. And he does give me everything I need and more. So, but also these are all part, these people, they're all part of the same body that I am a part of. Yeah. And so I should rejoice in that. Well, this is, yeah. So this is, this is something we do not think of sufficiently. It gets to something Bishop Barron has talked a lot about way back in the day where he talks about like the non-competitive nature of God, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this has a human analogy too. God is not in competition with the world. And because the world is created uh, by God, uh, because everything kind of quote-unquote subsists in the sun, uh, at the heart of creation is non-competition. Competition exists because of the fall. So mm-hmm. what happens is it's like it's our, our, the Christian response is not meant to be a, how come they have that? I don't have that. That's a very selfish view of mm-hmm. the spiritual life, right? It's rather to say, I rejoice because God gave that person certain gifts. And here's the, because here's the other thing. We all know this. We all say, I wish I had that person's gifts in this, 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 and this. But, I wish I had Father Anthony's hair. Yeah, sure. For maybe. example, just one. Maybe, you know. maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll we'll start calling you Father Stamson. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, we 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 all wish it. But then here's the thing: there's people who we wish we had their stuff. They often wish they had our stuff. Like so, it's not yeah. about it's not about competition. And we need to take this competitive view out of how we look at our spiritual life and our spiritual gifts and our natural talents, et cetera, and to say it's all part of Christ's body for the common good to build each other up, and we need to start rejoicing in that more. I am, uh, like, if, if anything, like, like I am not handy at all. I, yeah. I suck at it. I never, <laughs> and I'll never be good at that, and I'm okay with that, right? Yeah. If there's anything, I have, like, a kind of holy jealousy, like, in the sense of, like, wow, that's a really cool gift. I wish sure. I could do that. But I'm okay that that person has it and I don't. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, and I'm not perfect at that. Jealousy does arise in my heart sometimes and I need to sure. work on that. But that's the thing. When those things arise, that is the moment to reflect, to ask God to remove that from your soul so that you can rejoice more clearly. Like, I mean, like St. Paul says it, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Mm-hmm. Let no bitterness cross your heart. This is St. Teresa's advice. Yeah. And she also says that like, it's good to meditate on the things that God has given you Mm -hmm. and the goodness of your soul and also of others. And if you don't, she says, it's because you lack humility. Mm -hmm. She says, I am sure that anyone who finds it harmful to realize that it is possible for God to grant such favors during this, our exile, must be greatly lacking in humility and of love of his neighbor. Mm-hmm. So love of his neighbor in the way we just mentioned, but also in personal humility. Yeah. Because the gifts that God has given you, uh, who are you to say you do not deserve them? Right. That is pride speaking in you. Yeah. It's a weird w- form of pride. It's one of the weirder ones mm-hmm. where it's this false humility. You're like, no, I can't. I can't. Uh, engage in contemplative prayer. I can't uh, hear God's voice in a way that will make sense to me. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not about you. It's about the gifts that God has chosen and given to you. And I think even more revealing is she says that 
people aren't given gifts because they're holy. Right. Just because someone has certain spiritual gifts that you don't have doesn't mean that they're holier than you. Mm -hmm. She says, he grants these favors then, not because those who receive them are holier than those that do not. Sometimes he does so to um, prove his strength or his love or as a witness. Um, uh, In the case of St. Paul or Mary Magdalene, it was the gifts were given to them for other people, not because of their own holiness. So a lot of times we play a holiness game where we try to figure out who's holier than others. That's not how gifts work. Yes, yeah, so this is, and this is, this is the other thing, and this is something I'm becoming more and more aware of. That we need to just root out extensively from the church. We kind of talked about it a bit last week, like we call, like what I call, like spiritual narcissism. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't receive a gift for my own sake. It is received to be given away. Hmm. And the fact that we don't think about that enough tells me that we have too much of the spirit of the world in the church. Absolutely. So next, let's uh, move ahead a little bit to what is my favorite image to explain what mortal sin is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because the image she uses is she talks about how basically a dark cloud goes uh, around the castle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and she's not like wishy-washy about uh, mortal sin. She says, no thicker darkness exists and there's nothing dark and black, which does not, which is not much less so than this. You need know only one thing about it, that although the sun himself, who has given the castle all its splendor and beauty, is still there in the center of the soul, Mm -hmm. it is as if he were not there for any participation which the soul has in him, though it is capable of enjoying, enjoying him as is the crystal of reflecting the sun. So, the castle is kind of covered but god is still there mm-hmm. so it's as if he isn't there but he is there mm-hmm. and i think that's a really good understanding of mortal sin mm-hmm. because a lot of times we just say cut off from god mm-hmm. um, but we know this isn't completely true because we don't get rebaptized, right right uh, she also says it's like there's a, a fountain springing forth but the stream is cut off the stream is what's darkened there's nothing wrong with the fountain it's the stream that flows from it that has been polluted some way right right uh, so I think this is important to balance just how like bad mortal sin is because yeah. it it's it's real bad. It's uh, uh, mortally bad, in fact. Uh, but it does not mean that God has uh, abandoned you. Mm-hmm. And then also apart from that, the um, feeling of the need to repentance, the movement back to confession, that's proof that God's still working with you. Yeah, yeah, right? and that's the, yeah. I mean, so, like, grace is always at work to draw you back to the sacraments. Grace. <laughs> It's it. We 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 get so. I hate to put it this way, but we get kind of linear about our thinking around sin and grace. I've and I, I get it because often our, our we can't. It's a mystery, and so we're just trying to kind of wrap our minds around the mystery the most. But here, I mean, here's the thing: anybody who's not baptized, who's drawn to baptism, grace is already at work. I mean, even the church actually says, like, if you're a catechumen and you die before you're baptized, you get a Christian funeral. Yeah, because it's a it's a recognition. Grace is always at work, so grace is already at work in the world and in your soul, and so this is and and I think that that is a great sense of hope. We got to stop being so beating up ourselves so much around mortal sin. I, I and I say that like, how do I want to put that? There's 
I think oh, it, it, it's, it is because uh, I know that sounds weird to say or to hear. Yeah. You know, I was going to talk about this. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's if you know the graces at work. I, but this is the thing. Most of the time, the saints say, if you sin mortally, you reckon that you confess it and you move on. Don't give it more thought than it's due. Because if, if you know God's grace is at work there, you really believe in God's grace. He's not going to keep you there. He's going to draw you closer. And he's going to use this evil for your good in the end. Right. So, I, I mean, here's the thing. Because I've had encounters with, with uh, priests before I was a priest. Uh, and I, I think maybe a lot of people experience spiritual leaders kind of poo-pooing mortal sin. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people of our generation are very on guard against that, yes. right? Because, like, we understand that sin is real and it is bad. Yeah. And so does, you know, uh, St. Uh, Teresa. She says, uh, bah, bah, bah. And since this soul has separated itself from him, it cannot be pleasing in his eyes. For after all, the intention of a person who commits a mortal sin is not to please him, but to give pleasures to the devil. And as the devil is darkness itself, the poor soul becomes darkness itself likewise. Mm-hmm. She goes on to say, that uh, a person, if a person could really see what mortal sin does to a soul, they would think it impossible to sin at all. Hmm. And rather, and rather than meet occasions of sin, they will put themselves to the greatest trouble imaginable to avoid it. Right. So mortal sin really bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also, uh, let's just. Um, I'm just going to say this. Okay. A lot of times, people um, equate every sexual sin with mortal sin. Mm-hmm. And and often, uh, when they are in habitual uh, sexual sin, masturbation, pornography, adultery, uh, they've been engaging in these things in various levels since basically puberty, right? Uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that the, the soul that is striving to fight against that, that's going to confession regularly, that is implementing things to fight it, mm-hmm. uh, not every fall is a mortal sin. Right. And it's and it's again we always have to remember there are three there's a difference between grave matter and mortal sin. Grave yeah. matter is a condition of mortal sin, but it's not the total right. picture. It needs to be with full knowledge. It needs to be with full consent and it needs to be grave matter. So mm-hmm. for example, you're like I was being inundated with tempting thoughts. Well, what did you do about it? Why well, fought it? I prayed about it. Like, then there's no sin. Yeah. There is no sin here. But we You will we, still feel icky about yeah, it because they're icky thoughts. But that's a good right. thing. That you feel mm-hmm. like, you, like you say, wait, you're, you're recognizing the repulsiveness of, of what the sin is asking of you. So we need to like, yeah, anyways, I just, we, we need to yeah. always remember there are three qualities towards uh, something to be mortal. Now that, but that shouldn't also say I shouldn't just go and, conf- I, okay, well, I don't think it was mortal because that's actually not, here's the thing. You right, actually right, don't right. know. We often don't know. That's up, that's in the left in the mercies and mysteries of God because we don't know really yeah. true. We don't know ourselves well enough often to know our freedom, our knowledge, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like we might know, okay, this sin is evil, but we don't know the qualities of our free will. So you bring it to confession regardless. Even if you're in a deep addiction with it, you bring it to, to confession regardless. But then, right. you, yeah. So, and this is why this is why like because it's very dangerous to give broad advice about this sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like, if you are struggling to combat that kind of sin, it's so important to try to find a spiritual director mm-hmm. uh, because maybe that director can help you discern. Like, you should still be going to communion, right? 
uh, because you need that grace from communion. Uh, the spiritual director can help you discern whether or not, like, because of the habit, yeah. it's not mortal right now. Right. Um, and these, these are all very delicate things, and it depends. It varies from yeah. soul to soul. That's why yeah. getting something up, because also the, the you know what that kind of sin especially does for all sorts of reasons. Um, the sin itself is bad, but the effects sometimes are even kind of worse. Yeah. That we make our entire spiritual lives about sin instead of God's grace, yeah. and it clouds our judgments. Uh, it makes us feel terrible, and we always equate feeling terrible with sinfulness, which isn't always true. Uh, so that's why it's important to like get an outside opinion to help you discern these things, because mm-hmm. maybe there are remedies that are available to you, but you need you need a good doctor. Yeah. So you need a good spiritual director. Okay. So that's okay. that's we. I think we've talked about moral sin yeah, before. Yeah. But, but it's always good to that, remind. It's always good to remind people. Yeah, because it's 2020, uh, <laughs> and any priest will tell you who hears confessions on a Saturday. A lot of people struggle with this. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah. they do. But you don't have to struggle with it in the same way for everyone. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the last little bar- part I want to get to uh, is uh, self knowledge, hmm. uh, because this is this is the thing that she says. Even though there's a bunch of beautiful mansions out there, right? And like, and you don't need to spend a lot of time in each one. Like, move from mansion to mansion. It's basically like there's a feast there. Try all the foods. They're all wonderful. But the one thing we have to keep going back to is the mansion of self knowledge. And in fact, the dynamic is very important of looking at God and looking at ourselves for uh, two reasons. One, in the light of God's goodness, we will have a deeper clarity of our lack of goodness, right? That's the thing. Uh, But also, as we look at our lack of goodness, as we look at our sinfulness, our faults, our failings, we will look at them in the light of God's love for us and mercy for us so that we do not despair. And that is, I think that's, you know, the point you were making earlier about not being convinced of God's love of us. That's because we've so often looked at our sins on our own, Mm -hmm. right? Or our sinfulness on our own. So we beat ourselves up. I'm not where I should be. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. I'm not enough to be loved but when you see it with god's eyes you you see that he sees the sin but he still loves you yeah and that's the changing moment that's the conversion yeah and then there's a second point so there's there's that aspect which is very true but she also compares the lack of self-knowledge to the state of a soul in mortal sin. Hmm. And she says very clearly, this is not a perfect comparison. Right. They are not the same thing, right. but some of the effects look similar. Uh, and I'm gonna, this is a longer quote, but I think it's just going to click with a lot of people. Um, we were just now, we were, we were saying just now, how black and noisome are the streams that flow from the soul, soul's immortal sin. Similarly, although this is not the same thing, God forbid, it is only a comparison. So long as we are buried in the wretchedness of our earthly nature, these streams of ours will never disengage themselves from the slow of cowardice and fear. We shall always be glancing around and saying, are people looking at me or not? If I take a certain path, shall I come to any harm? Dare I begin such and such a task? Is pride that is impelling me to do so? Can anyone as wretched as I engage in so lofty an exercise of prayer? Will people think better of me if I refrain from following the crowd? For extremes are not good, they say, even in virtue. And I am such a sinner that if I were to fail, I should only have farther to fall. Perhaps I shall make no progress. and In that case, I shall only be doing good people harm. 
A person like myself has no need to make herself singular. All these anxieties that we have about the spiritual life or all these worries about, am I doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. If I don't pick the right vocation, will God hate me forever? If I don't do the right things, will I not get married or not? Or um, is is this what God's telling me to do or is this my own pride? Uh, And I'm such a sinful person, could I ever accept prayer? All these flow from a lack of Mm self-knowledge and not from pride. Right. The deeper you know yourself, the more free you are to love God. Yeah. And like we've we've all tripped up uh, doing this, where we've had uh, conversations where we kind of lose our minds, and either we start like yelling or flipping out at people because uh, we haven't realized that I'm in a bad mood right now, or I haven't prayed in a while. Like we see and have all experienced the harm that not knowing ourselves does. Mm-hmm. And by learning more and more about who you are. That allows you to be free for God. Hmm. Yeah, and I think like um, I was listening to Catholic stuff you should know the other day, and uh, I'm sorry, I know they're the enemy. I'm kidding, they're not the enemy. They're great guys. It's a great podcast. Uh, it's a good podcast. Uh, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Anyways, they're talking about uh, Sister yeah. uh, Sister Blandina Sigale. Uh, who was a nun in Denver and Santa Fe and stuff, Sister of Charity. And I'm forgetting the exact quote, but she says, the will of God is found in the tasks that are given you for the day. And I think like, because what I think Sister Teresa's stuff kind of blends in with that, right? This I, And I'm, yeah. prob- I'm misquoting Sister Blandina a bit there, but that's roughly what she said. We don't need to worry about is X, Y, am I making the right choice about this choice of my life and everything? It's not, uh, God's will for you is not to be figured out in this, like, he doesn't have a blueprint in heaven. And if you take a wrong direction, the blueprint is gone and you're, you're, you're toast. That's not how it works. Rather, it's actually through the concrete circumstances of each day that you hear his voice. You will learn to find the peace and the, the and, and the things of life that you need to make, uh, through which you need to make the choices for your life through which you're going to find your vocation. They, like, you know, if you're married and, and you're, the things that are in your day are, I got to get up, pray, work, get home, look after the kids and the family, do a few things and rest. You've done God's will. You've done it. Right. Pure, yeah. pure and simple. Um, instead of like second guessing every decision, we need to be more comfortable with just saying yes in the moment that God has given us. So it's like rediscovering, you know, the gift of the moment rather than worrying about the effects of my choices. We, we gotta, gotta, though there are effects to our choices. Yes. Or there are effects from our choices, I should say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But God isn't, if, it, if it's not like, unless you're going out and doing something gravely immoral, like cleaning the dishes after dinner is, is not, it's a moral choice, but it's a moral choice towards the good. So mm-hmm. you don't need to be worrying if you're doing God's will in the moment. You are. Right. You are. So we need to, I guess we need to concretize God's will a bit more. Yeah. You know, and then I think the stuff that St. Teresa is talking about would start to remove the cloud. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just even even that statement, you can see how much it clicks with um, Ignatius of Loyola's mm-hmm. uh, Rules for Discernment, mm-hmm. right? Like all these spiritual writers, 
they say the same things in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to find one that clicks with you. So uh, that's just a little bit from the first like chapter or so cool. of the book. And I would say that as anybody who has begun to try to pray can read the first three or about the first three mansions. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, if there was like a, a basic intro to prayer, the first three mansions, anyone can read those. Yeah. Uh, after that, I would suggest stop reading once you get to a mansion that makes no sense to your brain. Mm -hmm. Once you're like, I don't even know what she's talking about, stop reading. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Yep. Because the whole the whole thing is like, once you once you get to a certain point where you are making yourself available to God, then the rest is is you know it's up to God, yeah. and even getting you to that point is God's grace, right? Yeah. Um, so like I I'll occasionally go back to it. I'll read for as long as I can. Then when I'm like ah this is nothing for me anymore, then I stop and it's okay. And it's also to realize like she's not she's not talking like it is stages, but it's also these interplay with each other often, right? It's not like I mean I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been a while since I've read yes. it. Uh, it's crossing the third mansion. After that, yeah. that things get more advanced so sure. but even then sometimes even in those first three stages god's going to give you some things that are from the other mansions yeah. and that's that because god isn't bound to it it's not a system to be figured out but yeah so don't like it, it, it's not a, again it's not a blueprint for prayer it's just she's trying to she's trying to give an expression to the different experiences of the soul in the life of prayer Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me writing and selling my homilies for $5 a pop. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, on YouTube, or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.